The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. One of the things that I'd like to see happen, let's take out the sinister, anything sinister at the moment, okay? Just based on what you know, really and truly, can we say without a shadow of a doubt that this woman committed suicide? My answer is unequivocally, unhesitatingly, no. And I don't say that again. It makes no difference to me of any kind, professionally, personally, financially, uh, whatever, uh, none. Um, I disagree with that um, uh, manner of death, number, uh, number one. Number two, I have yet, and I've done now about 20,000 autopsies. You guys have to bring up your numbers. Um, and I've reviewed about 40,000 others. I have yet to see. I've never seen, I have never seen a medical examiner or coroner's certificate of death, and it would have to be one of those, Certainly can't be a, a natural death certificate signed by a doctor or hospital because you're not permitted to do anything other than a natural death. So we're talking about medical examiner and coroner's cases. I have never seen probable, possible, or or any other um, um, kind of uh, equivocating uh, uh, adjective. Um, you have five manners of death uh, to use on the death certificate of an ME coroner's office in order of decreasing frequency of of occurrence, natural, accident, suicide, homicide, undetermined. All right. Well, there you heard it. Dr. Cyril Weck, good morning, everybody. I am Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding the iconic M.M. herself. You know, as Goodnight Maryland fans, we're going around the world each and every week, and we do have some shout-outs. I want to get to those in just a moment, but I just, I one of the reasons why we played that again, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it today, and why we're drilling it down so specifically for you is because, one, it's complex. Two, it can get very confusing. And three, it doesn't matter sometimes how much you say something. People think in their minds, oh, she was an inje- she was injected. We start believing because we've m- maybe had it in our conscious for such a long time. I'm going to ask all of us, even the experts, myself included, to really start to question some of what we're hearing. The pathology gives us a, 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 you know, kind of a map 
to be able to specifically rule out certain things. So when you hear us today talking about some of the specifics and some of the doctors, including Dr. Cyril Weck, that you'll hear uh, in some of his sound bites coming up in the hour, I really want you to question for yourself, is this true? Is this substantiated? Does this make sense? Because if we are emotionally connected to what our belief system is, just because we believe it, this show is designed to make you question. It's designed to make you think. So we are going to really try to drill this down and get some of the things that we know to be true solved and we can move on. And some of the things that are going to be in question and still theories, we can bring them to the conference that's happening. And I'll talk to you a little bit about it uh, uh, in September. So with that said, our shout-outs today are Cheryl from Durham, North Carolina, Patricia from Kaiser, Oregon, Jessica from Augusta, Maine, Dixie from Burbank, California, Billy from Oklahoma, Eric from San Diego, Todd from Seattle, Washington, Barbara from Dallas, Texas, Elisa from Newcastle, United, uh, the UK, Brandy from Erie, Pennsylvania, Luis from Venezuela, Shelly from Malmo, Sweden, and Bill from Manhattan, New York. It's because of you and this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting us for over 53 years. Well, we are in season three, and we are dissecting the 641-page DA report, recapping the last several shows, especially the April 8th show of Dr. Cyril Weck, and getting more and more to the questions and information in this DA report, such as, you know, one of the questions I had is if M.M. had intended to kill herself, why would she put uh, the cap back on the bottles? You know, who does that? Now, maybe people do. Maybe people do. I think that is a subjective uh, question I just asked. But next week, we're going to have Dr. Uh, Scott Bond. He's one of our experts, a criminologist and suicide expert, to join us to talk about his article in Psychology Today and uh, about celebrity overdoses as well. And he may be able to shed some light on these questions. And also maybe even Gary uh, Vitaco Robles. Uh, you know, he comes on a lot as a, uh, well, he comes on mainly as a Maryland expert, but he is certainly a mental health uh, professional and could possibly shed some light as it relates to the mental health issues and some of the suicide um, challenges that we have in determining whether it could be suicide or accidental. Not talking about anything malice right now, just just as we start to explore uh, some of the doctor's responsibilities as it relates to this case. So you know we have an upcoming truth conference, the real-life investigation of Marilyn Monroe. The new date is September 23rd, 2016. It's bigger, better, and brighter. Experts involved are forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Baden, Dr. Cyril Weck, who you've already uh, heard from. Two of the top, and they are the two and the most well-known forensic pathologists in the United States, if not the world, because they've been reviewing cases from John and Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Elvis Presley, O.J. Simpson, Sharon Tate, John Benet Ramsey, Anna Nicole Smith, David Carradine. 
We have mental health professionals that are going to be on at the conference. Our very own best-selling author, Gary Vitaka Robles, who I just mentioned. Dr. Reef Kareem, who is an addiction specialist and psychiatrist. Dr. Scott Bond, a criminologist and suicide expert. Lois Banner, a USC professor and historian. Best-selling author of, a, of several books, but one of her best-selling, Passion and the Paradox. Then, uh, of course, we have our immortal Maryland experts who are on the panel as well this season. Mary Jane Gray, Leslie Kaspirowitz. We have April Via Via, who does a lot of research, and she's on from time to time. We're also hoping to get best-selling author Anthony Summers, best uh, best known for Goddess and his award-winning B- as a award. Uh, winning BBC uh, journalists to come over here from Ireland. This is going to be a once in a lifetime event because it's going to be at the legendary Roosevelt Hotel starting, as I said, September 23rd through the 25th. So mark your calendars. You know, many people have been emailing us wanting to have all the information on how to get tickets. Well, tickets will go on sale in June, so don't worry if you can't make it live to L.A. You can watch it globally around the world with some uh, so many of you Maryland uh, fans that are in places like China and the Philippines, Canada, U.K., France, Netherlands, Germany. It's important that you get to see it too. So we'll have it uh, air as a live stream right here on Voice America TV. It will be available on demand after the event. And I have to tell you, I think watching it live is going to be really, really cool because we don't know when you bring a lot of people together, there is a power in numbers. And there's something that happens when everybody comes together for a sole mission and the sole mission, the reason why we called, we are calling it the Truth Conference, the Truth Will Set You Free, is that's the mission. That's the agenda. Let's get to the truth. Let's get to the healing of this. And then let's get to the transformation. So just uh, check uh, back to goodnightmarilyn.com or you'll hear it here on the radio show for more details. But just know that it is coming. As uh, you heard from Dr. Cyril Weck at the top of the hour, Wow. The coroner findings should probably be undetermined or accidental. And right now, I don't know about you, uh, you know, go back and forth and we'll certainly find out today from the experts. It's for me, it, it feels like it's more undetermined because the minute you go to accidental, then another proof of evidence comes back and says it could be suicidal. And I'm not talking, we're not talking about the malice portion uh, of, of the Maryland mystery. We're just talking specifically in regards to um, the probable suicide and what Dr. Dr. Weck said. So, you know, as a lead up to the conference for overturning the coroner findings, right? If you believe that we should overturn a meaning that we don't know, we really don't know, then go to goodnightmarilyn.com, click the petition, sign the petition. Please share it with your friends. This is a really important step. A lot of people want to be able to help and support. This is a great way, a direct way that you can do that. Well, the panel is back live this week, and we have obviously a complex task of continuing to break down the conversation. As uh, we have uh, you know, heard from Dr. Cyril Weck, we'll listen to a couple more of his sound bites from the April 8th show because I think it's, again, talking about some of the specifics 
of the case and really looking at what he says and if it makes sense for you. This season, we are taking an in-depth look at the 1982 DA report. There's a lot of information in there about the pathology and what we'll be discussing today to get more clarification on the case. The forensics are a big part of the report and a big part of this investigation. But before we get started, I'd like to uh, have a special thanks to executive producer of Goodnight Maryland Radio, Randall Libero. I'd also like to thank the Voice America Radio Networks. Couldn't do this show without you and your support. Mike Surgit, our engineer, is back with us this week. Jennifer, our social media person. And of course, the Goodnight Maryland fans. I'd uh, like, to, like to thank you and thank the panel. If you have a question or a comment today, call us at 866-472-5788. Well, the panel. Who is the panel? The panel are these uh, mainly three people, but we have some uh, guests from time to time, and they'll be on the show today, too with some uh, compelling information. We have Gary Vitaka Robles, best-selling author of Icon, The Life, The Times, and uh, films of Marilyn Monroe, and Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kasperowitz. This season, as you know, we are talking about the DA report, and we're going to drill down what the doctors are actually saying in the DA report and compare it to what Dr. Weck is saying. And, you know, last week we, we went over some, you know, some bullets in regards to that. And one of the things that, that we did is that we, we recapped the injection, um, you know, what was happening with the injection, what was happening with the crystal uh, residues. And as the panel is back, I'd like to play a mic, if you can, uh, if you're in the studio there and you can hear me, if we could play and cue up uh, the crystals in the stomach, that would be a great sound bite from Dr. Cyril Weck, and then I'm going to have the uh, the panel comment it. So uh, let's play it, and uh, then we'll get this show on the road. A question that I think is very, and you've mentioned it, Dr. Weck, that I think keeps coming up, um, is the crystals or lack of in her stomach. Can you address that issue? Well, these uh, um, capsules... Uh, disintegrate quickly, and if you have an empty stomach, uh, no food uh, slowing down that process, the gastric uh, juices, hydrochloric acid, and the uh, various other enzymes uh, act quickly. And um, they uh, can lead to the rapid disintegration. You know, I continue to do uh, autopsies at a um, very substantial pace, out of 456 last year, more than 250 were drug deaths. I've already done 120 in three months this year, and uh, more than half of those are drug deaths. Now, uh, many of those uh, are people who ingest as opposed to people who inject. And um, I can tell you, <laughs> really, thinking about it as I speak um, and address this point now, that it is rare, rare, for me to find tablets, pills, capsules in the stomach. Um, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, the barbiturate, whether um, it's uh, the chloral hydrate, as in Maryland's case, whether it's any of the uh, other drugs that we deal with uh, today, uh, leaving out the injection um, cases, that 
it, it, that's how fast it happens. When you know, one tends to think, "Gee, doesn't it take well uh, people to digest food and so on and so forth?" Well, the pills and tablets and capsules are not food, um, and especially as I say, on an empty stomach. So um, there were um, no findings of any substantial nature, uh, no significant uh, degradation products, such as to suggest capsules. And that doesn't square with the number of capsules, tablets that she would have had to have ingested in order to have reached those high levels of nebutol and chloral hydrate. All right. Well, that was Dr. Cyril Weck. Uh, panel, let's begin. Uh, we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, Gary, let's start with you. Your thoughts about the residue in the stomach. Well, it seems to concur with all of the other medical experts who have been asked the same question. And I'm going to reference Ronald Kornblum, who was the Los Angeles County Coroner in 1982, and the DA uh, interviewed him for the investigation. And um, he said that the pharmaceutical companies specifically designed sleeping pills to dissolve very quickly in the human system so that they actually work. So he, he believed that this was totally consistent with uh, an, an oral ingestion of an overdose and um, that during an autopsy of such a death, the refractile crystals could only be discovered in the system if, if the death were somehow instantaneous. But he agreed that, that Marilyn had likely uh, taken the medication and lingered on for several hours absorbing them into her system. Yeah, another, I think it was Dr. Stevens, and Leslie, I'm not sure if you have this in front of you, um, but it says that the nebutyl dye, dye um, in yellowish color doesn't necessarily create a residue or a color stain as well, and uh, that basically that it's it's not common, and that it took him about four years before he even saw a, slightest, a slight uh, coloration in somebody's st- stomach, so four years in terms of doing autopsies. What did you get from Dr. Stevens? Um, Yeah, Dr. Stevens agrees very much with what Dr. Wecht has uh, stated, and he very clearly says um, that both nebutal and chlorohydrate are absorbed very rapidly by the system, and that if there's enough time, he says if the patient lives for a period enough of time, then the material will not only be absorbed, but any residues will pass on into the gastrointestinal tract where it will become even more difficult to recognize. So going by the time of death that we have based on the liver temperature, there's definitely enough time for um, chlorohydrate and nebutal both to have been completely absorbed and to leave no residue noticeable behind. Well, and that's the other thing that we're going to get to after the break is the injections and the enema theories, etc. And just revisit this one more time. So guys, when you hear... Maryland fans, when you hear, why wasn't there residue in the stomach? You're hearing it from multiple sources, multiple doctors, Dr. Cyril Weck, Dr. Stevens. Um, there is Cornbloom. Um, uh, uh, there is Weinberg in here in the, in the DA report. There's multiple sources, and it makes sense. That's the key. If you know the logic of why it would have um, uh, evaporated, it has to do with the fact that it was a length of time. Marilyn did not pass away within minutes. Okay, that's one of the things that we found out from the last couple of weeks. So it's really important as we look at the forensics of the pathology of Marilyn, not something we're making up, not a theory. 
we now know that residue in the stomach isn't necessarily something that you would find. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. We'll talk about the injection, put a cap on that. And then I'm sure we're going to have more questions than we have answers. We'll be back in just a moment. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. With me is Leslie Kasperowitz, Mary Jane Gray, both from Immortal Maryland. We have best-selling author and expert, Gary Vitaka Robles. Uh, he is obviously, uh, his wonderful book has a lot of knowledge on Maryland icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe. We are dissecting the DA report as we start to ask more questions and break it down, the forensic pathology. So before the break, we were talking about the residue, not only the the, the crystals, but also the, the staining. Uh, the report, uh, I have to say, goes into great detail in regards to the staining. And Gary, you also had uh, something you wanted to add in regards to uh, the report um, and what they were talking about. Yes, they, um, the investigators actually spoke to a representative um, of the manufacturing company Abbott that makes Nembatol. And that representative said that there was no empirical evidence or literature indicating that there would be staining of the, of the Nembatol on a, on a consistent basis. But they did say that people who speculate about this might be confused about the other barbiturate, secanol, which is red and can leave traces of red dye staining. So it, it, while it does happen with, with the secanol, it is not common in the Nembatol. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, the red dye is usually used for red, uh, you know, food coloring as well. So I think the thing is, is that there's enough information out there to say without a shadow of a doubt that her having crystals in her stomach isn't necessarily something that you would find. Um, most likely, um, and Leslie, you had something you wanted to add in regards to that as well. Right. I wanted to um, touch on the what's called dumping syndrome, which is mentioned in the DA report as well. Um, in the interview with Dr. Stevens, he discusses um, this dumping syndrome, which is about material being cleared very quickly from the stomach, and it's something that's fairly common in a person who has a high tolerance to the drugs. And he kind of compares it to, um, you know, an alcoholic versus someone who doesn't drink often and how the same blood alcohol level could have one person passed out, you know, whereas another person could still be on their feet. And Marilyn, we know, had a very high tolerance. So it's it's very likely that this dumping syndrome did apply to her and that she did clear uh, the material even quicker than someone who may not have been used to the drugs. All right. Well, let me let me bring up a question that is also in the DA report. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that, and I'm not sure if it was in Mary Jane's interview or if we talked about it with Dr. Cyril Weck, but Dr. Stevens does talk about it. He's one of the, the people that says, based on the fact that she did have a high tolerance, that Marilyn could possibly have survived that. What, what, uh, what are your thoughts about that? And is that a question I think that we may have to get answered, uh, not only from the forensic pathology, uh, but possibly bring this to the, the, the conference? Or if Dr. Michael Baden comes on, we can, certainly, um, we can certainly ask him. Mary Jane? Well, I think in my layperson's opinion, it, it seems like it was an exorbitant amount of drugs. And it, and just to me, it seems very unlikely, you know, regardless of the tolerance that someone could survive that. Um, however, because, I mean, if you look at uh, her level and her, her liver and her blood levels, I mean, they were th- three times the lethal limit for an average person. And I mean, you can factor in the tolerance. But I think that's definitely a question to pose to some of our um, forensic experts or coroners, and they can give us a more definitive answer. Yeah, I just, uh, I think that's one that, you know, like you said, uh, layperson's uh, opinion, right? I don't know how that would be survivable, but he does say that the overdose was potentially survivable. I don't think we've ever heard anybody else say that. Um, but the fact that we know that, um, you know, she was taking uh, some type of, uh, or under the influence, even prior to Dr. Greenson leaving that night after uh, talking with her for several hours, we already know that she she had something in her system because he, he noted that she was feeling a little woozy. So let's uh, let's uh, listen to the injection uh, soundbite from Dr. Cyril Weck and let's see see what he has to or hear what he has to say about uh, Marilyn possibly being injected. The argument for the um, for the belief that uh, there might have been an intravenous injection, of course, it relates to uh, two things. Uh, one, a high level, and two, uh, reportedly the absence of uh, um, capsules, pills, tablets, even in disintegrating form within the gastric contents, um, and so on. And, of course, then we get into another aspect we can talk about later, and that is uh, what happened to uh, the contents of the stomach and the small intestine, which were obtained by Dr. Noguchi in um, incremental fashion. That is one part of the uh, small intestine 
followed by another part, followed by a third part, and so on, moving from the uh, duodenum, um, the beginning of the small intestine at the end of the stomach, into the uh, jejunum, and so on. Uh, but um, let's talk about what we do have, and that is um, the the absence of an identified or a suggested needle puncture mark. Um, we don't know, of course, about the scene itself in terms of needles and syringes because that gets into a whole other aspect of the case that uh, we may be talking about who was there and how long did it take before detectives were called and uh, what, why, what, why did so many hours pass by with one and then a second doctor before uh, the detectives were called. What, what is it they were doing and what is it they felt they had to do? So, you know, that's, uh, I, I wish I could give you a, a more definitive answer, but I, I, I must say that there is, to my knowledge, no basis uh, in terms of an anatomic finding uh, on the body of Marilyn Monroe to indicate or suggest even a needle puncture mark of recent vintage. All right. Well, there you have it in regards to the injection. Uh, the panel, we have had this uh, posed. I know, Gary, you were, were asking it, too, um, in terms of maybe you've gotten it from your Maryland fans. It says, if there were no needle marks were found to suggest a lethal injection, why was there no detection of injections given by Engelberg on August 1st and 3rd? Uh, so, Gary, you want to address that one first? I know, Mary Jane, you had some thoughts on that as well. Well, that would, that would be a very simple explanation in that the injections given several days before, if they had been administered appropriately by a professional, that within 24 hours they would have healed. Um, however, if there had been a fatal injection, which would have killed Marilyn rather rapidly, the um, injection site would not have had time to heal, and therefore it would have been detected. And, and we know from Nagushi's testimony that he very carefully examined the body with a handheld magnifying glass. And he also squeezed on the body to see if any fluids would erupt from a puncture. And he also states that he looked in areas of the body that were not, not normally associated with injections. So he looked underneath the fingernails and the toenails and between the toes. So it seems like he gave a very thorough um, external examination with a handheld uh, magnifying glass. Yeah, and that's what Dr. Cyril Weck had said, too, after reading the report, too. Uh, Mary Jane, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I just wanted to address something about um, injections in general. Is The injections most people think of are like when you go um, get a vaccine shot. The injections Marilyn were getting, to the best of our knowledge, they were similar to a B12 shot, and the size of the needle and the size of the dosage are very, very different. When you get a vaccine, you're getting a 25-gauge needle that's about an inch and a half long, which is a fairly large needle, which is why somebody, you know, you go get your flu shot, you'll see a mark on your arm the next day. Now, the average B12 injection is... 0.001 cc's, whereas a vaccine injection is 0.5 cc's. So for a smaller injection, you're going to use a much smaller needle, which would be a 31-gauge needle. Um, I have a daughter who has type 1 diabetes. I give her injections about six times a day. 
we use a 31-gauge needle on her. And those injection sites, there's nothing there. There's, they, they heal within a few hours. So but, if she, Marilyn was getting shots um, of a small dosage, as would be the liver shots that were cited or the B12 shots, they would be healed by the time uh, her body was examined. Yeah, They'd but be then long- let's... But- but then up. let's talk about the more malice. So let's say somebody uses a small needle versus a large needle. Um, what are we saying here? Because that's, that, that is one of the biggest issues in terms of could they have overlooked it, right? Um, we just heard Gary and Dr. Noguchi says, very, states it very clearly that he, with a magnifying glass, you know, went over her body, right? So the realities of 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 after death being able to, that she died from, based on an injection, that mark would have been seen because she, the, her body would have stopped. And I'm so sorry because I feel like we're, we're talking about her as if she's, uh, uh, you know, an object. But I, I think that it's important for people to understand the injection. If she took a vitamin B shot and she had it in her, you know, arm or her, you know, her hip area, you know, buttocks area, etc and she was still alive because the body is flowing it it wouldn't have showed it would have already healed up as Gary said Leslie did you want to add anything onto that um, yeah, Dr. Stevens agrees with, with that analysis of it. He very clearly says um, when you're talking about a shot in the buttocks, the shoulder, the hip, um, that kind of shot, he stayed six to eight hours um, and it would be difficult to locate that mark. So there's no reason to expect that a needle mark from August 3rd would have been visible at autopsy. Yeah. So, so, you know, and he, you know, the, the question is, could have Dr. Noguchi overlooked a needle injection based on what we know today, both from, uh, uh, you know, from the panel here, but also from the doctors, not only in the DA report, for, but Dr. Cyril Weck, the chances of that happening are really minute. And so I think we have to look at, you know, could she have been injected? Probably not. Uh, based on what we know today, uh, so so let's continue down this this pathway. One of the things that we have talked about on this show is why was Engelberg called? Could Greenson have pronounced her dead? And I think that is, you know, that's a weird thing when you think about it, right? If Marilyn has passed, why do you need to call another doctor in? What's the reason, unless you need to discuss something, right? So uh, we also have Dana Kent, who is the co-founder uh, and creator of, of not only the television show, uh, uh, The Investigation Room, but also the real-life conference coming up in September uh, at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. Uh, Dana, you're on the line, and you wanted to make a comment as well. We're talking about Engelberg and why wasn't he, you know, why was he called when he didn't necessarily have to? Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking for an answer. I mean, that was a question that I brought up when we were on the line before. And I think that for the doctors, that would be the question to them, because there could be a reason for that, you know, from a medical standpoint or how protocol is. And I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me, but really the question I had today was, has to do with, you know, the thing that we talked about with the Eunice Murray, you know, uh, clip that we have. And that actually speaks to the piece about it being an accident. So do you want me to yes. elaborate on the question that we had before? Because yes. really, mean on that, I just feel like there needs to be professionals that need to respond to that. 
And when we did speak about this question last time, I think we all felt that it was a good question, but I don't know, panel, did anybody find out anything in regards to a response to that? Because for me, I have no nothing else to say other than it's still a question in my mind. Well, we're actually good. We're going to have Dr. Sal, uh, Dr. Sal, <laughs> Sergeant Sal LaBarbera um, from the LAPD on with us, and hopefully in a couple of weeks, as well as Dr. Reef Kareem, and we'll we'll certainly have um, uh, Dr. Bon on. But it, to that to that uh, Dana's question panel, um, does anybody know that answer yet? No, um, Dr. Greenson was an MD, and as an MD, as far as I know, he would have legally been able to pronounce death. Um, it's possible he simply wasn't comfortable doing it. Being a psychiatrist, it was not something he would have frequently done. Um, so it may be that he wanted um, Engelberg to be the one on record. Uh, but I don't know that that question was ever addressed to Greenson or to Engelberg um, in any of the interviews. All right. Yeah, and then, Dana, again, you... from the, yeah, the coroner, too. I mean, I just want to know if, if there is some additional protocol or some something else that happens from the physicians, you know, what they choose to do in that situation from their standpoint, you know what I mean, other than what we may know. And I have to go to a doctor. Like, I want to ask Dr. Baden that. You know what I mean? Well, that'll be the, so let's mark that one down for Dr. Michael Batten when uh, we Absolutely. get to talk to him about that. Did, That's a great Nina, question. Do you want us to go to that question that I had that I was yes. going to bring to the yes. show today? Yeah. And we're, we're, we're changing gears here a little bit. This really, what happened, panel, is that um, I've been watching an interview with Eunice Murray, and she stated very clearly that she thought that this was an accident because of the fact that. Marilyn, on a regular basis, had asked her to monitor her intake of meds. And you have the clip, Nina, correct, to play? Yeah, not to, not this week. We don't have it this week. Oh, I thought yeah. you no. did. Okay, no, sorry no, no, about no, that, no. guys. So, Basically, yeah. I'll just tell you what it said. Um, she had said on, on this clip that, you know, I believe that this is an accident for sure. Uh, Marilyn, on a regular basis, asked me to uh, monitor her intake because she had said, meaning Marilyn had said to her, all the time that sometimes I forget that I take things and then I take more than I'm supposed to and I don't mean to. And she clearly stated that on an interview. So when I look at the coroner's findings, I was curious from a coroner's standpoint, and this would go back to uh, actually one of the pathologists as well, how much is that taken into account? If somebody that's there with her on a daily basis is asked to monitor her intake because when she takes it, she forgets that she takes it and also says that she sometimes takes too much and doesn't mean to, the accidental aspect of it to me is absolutely more on the table than anything, Forget it, regardless of everything else that gets proven in it. And that's why I find it shocking still that a probable suicide was a determination. All right, we have to take a short break. The panel knows the question. Let's uh, let that uh, simmer there for a moment. You know, again, you know, in the in the height of what's happening in the media with celebrity deaths, I think it's really important for us to really drill down uh, accidental versus suicide and really uh, the responsibility not only of the person, but for the doctors that are treating the patient. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Uh, Dana Kent was just with us asking a question, and I think that question, we're going to save it for next week, and we're going to revisit that question because it is an excellent question in regards to the care, and we're going to start moving into the doctors and the prescriptions and stuff. But since we're on this pathology, I just want to make sure that we, uh, you know, we, we, we stay in line with what we're talking about. But um, I, I think that for next week, we'll have Dr. Uh, Scott Bond on with us for a few minutes, and that's a great question. Eunice Murray, she was there specifically to help Marilyn, to assist Marilyn, and uh, we'll have the clip for you ready for next week, uh, and so we will start to address some of those questions. But this week, we have this week's Life Bites. It says, finding magic in everyday life. So part of the reason we love Marilyn is her ability to live in wonder and capture those magical childlike qualities so many of us lose in adulthood. Well, Marilyn never did. I think that that's what draws us to her even today. I love this quote, those who never look for magic will never find it. You must become aware of the possibilities of magic in your life. You must seek out the magic. Dale Carnegie said that one of the most tragic things I know about human nature is that all of us tend to put off living. We are all dreaming of some magical rose garden over the horizon instead of enjoying the roses that are blooming outside our window today. I know for myself, I shake off the stress and I get into a humorous mood. I get lighter and brighter. You know, life is meant to be lived with fun and laughter and magic. Who says it has to be daunting and stressful 24-7? You know who says? We usually say that to ourselves. So in order 
to change. You have to change your mind and you can change your life. Look for and believe in a world that is full of fairy tales, trust, and pixie dust. And you too can find the magic in everyday life. Uh, love, love the fact that, uh, you know, when I think about the parts of Marilyn, obviously she was very complex. We're talking about some of the more heavier sides, but she certainly had a magical, beautiful side that was very childlike and playful. So uh, we also really appreciate our Goodnight Marilyn fans. And he, uh, Davey, uh, Davey Heller had a wonderful question of the day, and I thought this was really, really a good one. And I'll oppose it to the panel. If we could keep what if you could keep one Marilyn Monroe movie from her filmography, which one would it be? Uh, that's a fun question. Uh, we posted it on the Facebook page as well. Uh, but Davey would like to hear from the panel uh, what question or what f- uh, film, if they only could pick one. What film would it be? Let's start with Leslie. Leslie, what film would it be? Uh, my absolute favorite Marilyn movie is The Prince and the Showgirl, and I think that would have to be the one I would choose. All right. And how about you, Gary? Exactly the same. That was the first Marilyn film that I had ever seen, and she carries most of the film. And um, some people say that that character might have been the closest to her um, personality. And Mary Jane. Uh, for me, it would be Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It was the first Marilyn movie I ever saw, and it, to me, it's just quintessentially what embodies Marilyn. It's just it's the, the all her charisma and charm is on full display in that movie. All right. So then, and let's get back to also uh, mine is Some Like It Hot. I have loved that movie since I was uh, young, and uh, it, it, it all of the characters. But uh, I would say if I had to keep one, that would be it, since it's one of my all-time favorites. So with that said, let's get back to the panel. We were talking about injections. We were talking about you know the needle marks. Uh, Gary, uh, let's let's uh, let's come back to you in terms of some of the questions I was asking. I know you had some questions you wanted to have answered as well? Well, there, there is a question that, uh, that I have related to the chloral hydrate because, you know, there's a, there's a photograph of the night table with the medication bottles crowded on it, and I can see anywhere from about nine to possibly 11 bottles. And we know that chloral hydrate was one of the medications that was found in um, an extreme amount but the, the Barry Feinstein photograph that was published in Life in the 60s confuses me because he photographs the chloral hydrate bottle on the tea table in the sunroom. And I don't know if it was moved for that photograph or if that's where it was actually located, but it's a very close shot of it, and you can see that it's um, dated July 25th, and Engelberg's name is on it. So I'm confused as to why it's photographed so far from the bedroom. Well, that's a good question. Uh, Leslie or Mary Jane, do you have any thoughts on that? Because that, that's, uh, that's, to me, that doesn't seem, uh, you know, if those are the two medicines that, uh, that uh, killed her, why is one medicine in one room and why is uh, one in the other, especially if it was suicide? I just, I, wouldn't they all be together? 
Uh, well, it's definitely an interesting question, and, and it's a difficult one to answer uh, without getting into speculation. Um, you would expect that all the pill bottles would have been in one place unless she took uh, the chlorohydrate and then went for a bedroom where she there took the Nembutal, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, we just don't know that for sure. That's That's speculation, so... Yeah, yeah, and I think that, but that's one of the questions we have to make sure that we put up there because that is a question that doesn't, uh, may not lend itself uh, to suicide. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I think it's one of those that we have to investigate more uh, more closely. And uh, I think April Via Via is on the phone with us as well. Are you uh, with us, uh, April? Hi, Nina. Yes, I am. Okay, great. Um, Because I think that, you know, one of the things that is really challenging with this with some of the questions, uh, we're going to be posing them. And if any of you Maryland fans have any substantiated facts, not theories necessarily, you could definitely send us your questions. But if you have something substantiated, uh, you know, maybe you you have a piece of evidence that uh, some of us have not uh, received yet or have looked at, if you do, if you do, please email us. I think it's really important especially as we get closer to the real-life investigation in terms of specifics and having everybody come together. These are some of the questions that definitely need to, to be asked. Mary Jane, you had some, some questions, too, that you wanted to cover in regards to uh, some of the forensics as well. Yes, I have all kinds of uh, questions, just mostly things that need to be um, clarified uh, in regards to the the drug levels, and um, I know it sounds terrible, but um, what the process, what the length of time it would have been um, for everything to uh, reach the fatal point, and these are just things that I think need to be addressed with uh, a forensic expert. Okay, so I think one of the things that we do know from what Dr. Cyril Weck said, we'll see if uh, Baden uh, definitely uh, concurs, is that uh, according to the forensics of what we do know, that Marilyn most likely passed away around 1.30 in the morning, as early as 12.30, and probably as late as 2.30 in the morning. It'll be very interesting to put these two uh, very renowned uh, and brilliant minds together and see with all the, the different reports and evidence that we do have if they come to the same conclusion. That would be nice. I have to tell you, it would be nice to have something that is at least one element of this case that isn't always floating to some degree. And that's also what makes uh, all the speculation, uh, you know, so intriguing too, because just when you think you, you know something, um, you find out something else. How about you, Gary? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you just um, said about, about the time frame, and, and I was reading over Robert Littman's testimony, and he was part of the original mm-hmm. suicide prevention team, and he's He's in congruence with this time. He believes that she ingested the meds around 9 o'clock and lingered for about four to five hours, um, making the death time between 1 and 2. Um, I, I still have lots of questions about um, the lethal supply of medication. There's a lot of confusion about who was prescribing it. Um, there's speculation that Engelberg prescribed it, that a doctor named Lee Siegel prescribed it. Um, and I've been trying to... Um, relate the medications with receipts from San Vicente Pharmacy to see kind of what matches up. But unfortunately, the roster of medications inventoried by the police 
were not registered with the prescriber name on it, which I find very interesting. Um, well, so I, the whole responsibility for prescribers seems to be nimbleless. Well, exactly. And, and here's another another question. This is why I'm saying, you know, that they just came up with probable suicide based on her history. I totally get some of the reasons why they did. But then here's here's a question from the DA report. Uh, this is some of the um, uh, Mike Carroll and Tol- is it Tolmich that was uh, that was uh, sta- yeah that was stating this. It says shouldn't the LAPD um, the LADA John Van De Camp determine what became of the chloral hydrate pills, right? I mean, you know, like, we, we don't know what are in these bottles necessarily, and yet we're assuming, and then you also have uh, Pat Newcomb that potentially, uh, you know, that spent the night the night before, you know, now we know what's in her system, but we don't know all the variations. And if you take it to today, you know, you have, uh, you know, Prince, who the investigators are looking at in terms of medication right now, right, and that he might have been taking Percocet. But could you imagine if... If, if it were Prince and he had, as, as you said, all these bottles, right, then some of the bottles went missing, that would be, I can't imagine them just saying, oh, yes, he committed suicide or probable suicide. We wouldn't have enough information. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so anyway, uh, Leslie, I know you wanted to add something, um, and uh, let's, uh, let's hear from you, too. Um, one of my big questions regarding the prescriptions was why they tested only for chloral hydrate and nembutal in her blood when you have a selection of other drugs, including Librium and Phenergan and uh, Noludar, I think, was the other one that were found on the nightstand, and yet they only tested her blood for the two. Well, I, I think we somewhat uh, talked about this. Uh, Gary, do you want to uh, do you want to uh, jump on this one? I know you and I had an offline conversation well, yeah, about yeah, that. Sorry. We 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 believed at first that the investigation was driving which drugs were tested, but when we researched further about the toxicology, it appears that kind of a panel of toxicology is done for overdose deaths, and a certain categories of drugs are tested. So it's, it's a built-in part of the, of the test itself. But it's rather confusing to me because the, the chemical analysis report only mentions chloral hydrate and pentobarbital and um, ethanol, which is alcohol. So it doesn't read like a lab report where it gives the various categories and the findings of each one. And we would imagine some might be zero and some might be higher levels. It, it almost suggests that certain drugs might have been tested for and not all, but that kind of goes against what we know about typical toxicology, where it's a complete panel. Okay, so this is what we need to do. We need to add that question just for clarification when we get the forensic pathologist together and really answer that question because it's it's a good question and yet it may be just a general toxicology and whatever they find is what they report. We don't know and that's a great question to ask. We are running out of time. I don't even have time to ask the the uh, the uh, panel what their closing thoughts are for th- for this week. It's been a mishmash of all the these different questions, but as you can see, there's a lot more questions and we need a lot more answers. So next week, we're going to pick up the conversation. We're going to get into the doctors. We'll start getting into what 
is their role, especially in today's society. We're still dealing with this issue of very, very big epidemic in terms of prescription drugs. And what is the responsibility for the doctors involved with Marilyn Monroe? I'd like to thank the panel again, Gary Vitaka Robles, life uh, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, Mary Jane Gray, and Leslie Kasperowitz from Immortal Marilyn. April Via Via, I'm so sorry we didn't get a chance to talk to you. We're going to save those uh, those clippings for next week. It's going to be a very compelling show as we start to break it down even more. Why, why, why? You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. And until next week, we'll continue the conversation. And this wraps up another week. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio. And remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. (laughs) 